This is Coda Radio, episode 172, for September 28, 2015. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. Now, this episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show, as it goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us from the heart of Florida, in the beast of the belly, down by the water, by the gators. Why, yes, folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Actually, not in Florida today. Oh, <laughs> Oh, oh! I had a great setup. I had a great setup, and now you're telling me after like down by the Gators. Where are you back yep. up? Are you back up at the? Uh, where are you? Where are you? I'm back up at BTHQ for for a couple days. Yep. So, so Mr. Dominic, uh, now let's let's be honest. Uh, we are man enough to admit when the entire universe appears to be against us. So last Monday we missed our show because we had a we had a just it was Skype was out. Skype was out. You and I were both sitting here chatting for like 50 minutes trying to do the show, and to no fault of our own, couldn't do the show. This week, this week, Google Docs is down. Now, here's what everybody's going to say. You guys shouldn't use these services. Okay, that's obvious, but we do use these services to do this show, and it works well for us. And Docs is down for us right now. Skype was down for us. So this is going to be completely by the seat of our pants, and Mike's going to have to run soon. So uh, I just, I'm glad you're able to make it from the uh, Buccaneer uh, HQ. Yes, that's right. I'm down, you know, the normal deployment fun. So, yeah. So let me yeah. tell you really quickly. Uh, so I was setting up here in town and uh, I'm in uh, I'm in a town called Walls and okay. uh, I'm completely off the grid running off of battery right now. And uh, I, uh, I had everything all set up and it sounds pretty good. And then all of a sudden I hear in my headphones, I'm like, what am I do I hear music? What's going on? And I'm like, where's the music coming from? I'm checking all the computers, thinking which feed is, is throwing music in where it shouldn't be, right? And I, right. I take off my headphones, and I realize that we're, we've parked like <laughs> like a block away from the church, and the church does the, uh, the bells at noon. So it was ringing the, the church bells, <laughs> and I didn't know what the hell was going on. But uh, it wasn't actually my fault. It wasn't coming from the board. So what are you doing back up at, uh, at Buccaneer HQ? demos deployments there was a wedding it's just been uh it's been crazy actually yeah it sounds like it you know what i'm gonna I, do in your honor i'm gonna open up an ipa right now so oh yeah yeah quick yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I have nothing i i didn't even have a briefcase i got st- or i just had a briefcase i have no clothes nothing i got stopped by tsa i'm now very intimate with a, a very large tsa agent really Yo, you, apparently buying a plane ticket on your iPhone five minutes before you get on the plane, super suspicious. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that really uncomfortable? Uh, I thought it was fine. They did not. They wanted to know kind of what I was doing. Yeah, I one time had trouble bringing some audio gear through TSA, and then that was one of the reasons. Like, I think I'm going to well, take the road. Well, right, and I have a briefcase stuffed with 
That's all I brought, right? No clothes, no checked bag. I'm dressed in a suit. I got nothing. Stuffed with a MacBook, a, a tablet, a couple Android phones, a bunch of cables. I love it, dude. I'm, I'm sure that went through the XR and they were like, yeah, what, yeah. what's going on here? Why, why, so so my problem was is that uh, my uh, my uh, crate looks kind of like a bomb crate. And so they, uh, they were very suspicious of it. Not as suspicious, though, as perhaps some people that uh, have been dealing with uh, Apple's uh, recent kerfuffle along uh, the Xcode line and this uh, Go ghost vulnerability that uh, I kind of it kind of came up and uh, uh, became a big big deal and then Apple took some uh, some some steps to like pull apps from the store but it's kind of like Apple's first major app store malware and uh, it was like like uh, 40 different apps got infected by like a bogus version of Xcode did you hear about this yeah it was a bogus version of Xcode I believe it was a bogus version of one of the Xcode 7 betas or, or something and it just yeah, in fact, I got a couple of emails of people asking, hey, were you affected by this? You yeah. know, concerned customers, things like that. Um, which, no, because I'm not a big fan of updating to betas, so I never even would have looked for one. Yeah, especially when it's like your tool chain, right? I, uh... But it's, yeah, it, 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 for anyone who doesn't know, on the Xcode betas, you cannot submit to the App Store generally. So I'm always terrified that... You know, there'll be some show-stopping bug in something that's deployed, and I'll need to do a mission-critical submit. Right, right. Now, having said that, you can now have the uh, the betas installed next to the production ones. I just don't trust that as far as I can throw it, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be kind of crazy to want to actually put that in production, I think. Uh, but and nonetheless, it must have happened, though, right? Because 39 or just about 40 different apps made it in the App Store. So, I mean, somebody decided to do it. Yeah, I'm not – so, so it, the story is a little fuzzy for me because it was, it was one of those things that just like exploded on the scene. Huh. I mean, overnight it was check your apps, check your development machines. It was just kind of crazy. And, um, uh, and of course, this is kind of the thing that Google gets kind of a, a pounding for all the time. And everybody's always points to the App Store on Apple and says, well, you know, Apple really goes through the steps of screening these things. What happened to the screening process in this? Well, so I think we should backpedal just a little bit, right? This isn't really an App Store uh, vulnerability, right? Okay, okay. This is a... So so what happens is you download this bogus version of Xcode, and then when you archive and deploy your app for the App Store, it injects code into your binary. Oh, really? That right. is particularly so, so, sneaky. Right. So you have to have this bogus version of Xcode to have this problem. So, yeah. So you were in the beta then? Huh. Well, so uh, – I'm, So I'm not sure if it was only the beta. I've heard – a couple of sources say you had to have Xcode 7 beta. A couple of sources say no, there were bogus versions of Xcode 6 running around too. Oh, really? So I'm not sure. Obviously, I know a lot of developers, I'm sure particularly consultants, aren't jumping up for joy to say, yeah, we got hit, sorry. Yeah, right, yeah. That's something yeah. you kind of keep down down low, really. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting, though. This, this isn't really the first time a malicious app made it to the App Store. There's been a handful, uh, but uh, usually they're like, not through some other means. It's it's. I don't know. It's. Uh, I see. In the past, I remember. Uh, I think it was uh, WeChat had a, had an infection at one point I mean, early in the day, but I can't remember now that I'm now that because we don't have our notes since stocks is down. But I remember really looking into it. There's there have been other uh, Apple App Store apps that have had to get pulled because of junk in them. And in TechSnap, we talked about before how these apps can change sort of on the fly. They can download like we've talked about Marco Armit's uh, uh, podcast app that are, I don't. You get. I guess you probably don't use it anymore. You don't use Overcast anymore, do you? No, I'm using uh, Shifty Jelly's Pocket Cast. Yeah, which is good. Pocket Cast is really good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Marco's app, so much of that is set server-side 
that uh, it sort of uh, it sort of changes the entire app by just changing some JSON on the back end. Uh, and, and and not to uh, not to segue immediately from this topic. I don't know if you had anything else you want to mention, but have did you catch it all the stuff that's going on with the um, the content blocking? Yes. Yeah. But just, just jump back to this. Right. This wasn't a server side thing. This was you literally right. literally injected yeah. malicious code. No, into I your follow. Binary. I'm right. saying though. I'm okay. saying though that we're kind of fooling ourselves because a lot of these apps are so dramatically changed server side that if the remote server did get compromised, you could you could so fundamentally change so much of these apps. Like I don't think average people who are not developers realize how much of this configuration and and the presentation okay. of these apps is being controlled on a remote server. Um, and so if you just think about that, like, like, let's just talk about Marco's app for a second, because that's easy to understand. He's one guy. He's one developer with a massively uh, popular uh, podcast app. And he manages the nuts and bolts of that app from a server. And if somebody were to get access to Marco's server, I mean, he's just one guy, right? He could make mistakes. And if they get access to his server, they could change fundamental aspects of those apps. Now, who knows what kind of payload they could deliver? I mean, I'm sure it's not very much. But uh, that concept is way, way different than than traditional desktop applications. You know, I have... Like, the closest thing I can think of, Mike, is Chrome. Like, Chrome just silently updates in the background, right? But that's coming from frickin' Google. So you would have to have a compromise at frickin' Google to get something nasty on my machine via Chrome. Whereas some of these apps are a dude, you know, running on a VPS somewhere, and you don't really know what kind of precautions he's taken. And so I kind of wonder if that's going to be the malware of the App Store of the future. Not so much this kind of stuff, because it seems like there's constant mitigation processes. And, like, you can pull it from the App Store. But something like Overcast, that's already on tens of thousands of devices. Yeah, I mean, certainly server-side vulnerabilities are going to be a huge problem, because everything is server-side now. But I would, I would almost backpedal a little again and say, you know, you don't have to download an intentionally malicious version of Xcode to use third-party code and have a security breach in your app, right? Right. You could download – I mean, let's be honest. You could do the standard PHP developer thing, bam, copy-paste something off a of Stack Overflow and not realize that it's like – Very true. Not even, not even intentionally malicious, but just – you know, super leaky. Actually, uh, a great example of what you just said is the universal plug and play standard has, uh, if you just copy and paste like the example demo spec that was never intended for production, it has a ton of vulnerabilities in it. And the issue is so many different router manufacturers and people are implementing universal plug and play in their applications just copied the default example spec code. And now the majority of universal plug and play implementations on the web have this uh, flaw. The same. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so okay. So I taught, I mentioned it, I teased it a little bit. Uh, why don't we, before we uh, get into the whole uh, content blocking thing, because this is super fascinating to me, uh, I want to stop and just to take a second and thank DigitalOcean. Uh, wow, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own server. And did that come in handy this weekend? I was bouncing a, a, a so. We did a last from Noah's studio in Grand Forks, and we wanted to do a complete remote video production. And we had to be able to send that stream back to the JB1 studio in a way that they could also then continue to stream to our regular destination. So everybody could just go to jblive.tv and watch the Linux Action Show and have no concept of the fact that we're producing it halfway across the United States, all locally, and then sending a remote stream. And to do that, we had to have an intermediary system to bounce it off of. That's where DigitalOcean came in. I went to Digital 
CoderLotion.com. I used the promo code CoderDigital. That way, Coder Radio got the credit for it. I got a $10 promo, and I spun up my droplet in less than 55 seconds. And I had it for, I mean, this. look at this, you guys. For $5 a month, you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. So I spun this sucker up, and we had it running for several hours. And then it's so cheap, I just kept it going for a couple more hours, so that way I could use it again next week. Like, why not? It's already set up, and it's only $5 for the month. And if you use the promo code Coder Digital, now what I'm saying is DigitalOcean makes it so easy to get your own dedicated system up in the cloud, really set up any way you want it. One-click deployments for applications, one-click deployments for so many... In fact, GitLab is... Is, a, is This is a great way to get your own GitLab server set up. They just had a brand new version of GitLab that came out. We'll probably talk about it next week because we're, we're running tight this week. And man, is it nice. And DigitalOcean is the perfect place to try it out and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL so that we can try it for two months for free. And the best part is they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and they just opened up a brand new one in Canada. And Mike, they opened up in Toronto, so they call it Tor1. Come on. That's classy. Tor 1. And guess what? Their interface, it's tops. Their interface is super intuitive. You can get through that thing in no problem, super fast, but you're not going to feel tied down at all. And the best part is, for the interface, you can replicate that S with their straightforward APIs. So that way you can do it all, like, automated, integrated into your management system. It is slick. Plus, they have fantastic tutorials, great community write-ups, and they'll even pay you to write one up yourself. Go to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CoderDigital. Keep the Coder Radio Show kicking. Even if Skype's down, even if Google Docs is down, we are still here. You can do it too. CoderDigital.com. Promote the show. Keep us going. We love you guys. And we love DigitalOcean. CoderDigital. DigitalOcean.com. Okay, so let's talk about content blocking, which this seems like to me, as somebody who has like a little bit of skin in the game, but I don't really view podcast ads at all like uh, web display ads in my opinion web display ads have gotten extremely aggressive the tracking is egregious they're in your face they slow down your experience they make your machine run yucky they're horrible on a phone like i'm sitting here on the road and you know i'm counting all the megabytes i'm using and the idea that i would uh spend extra bandwidth on ads that's that's ridiculous to me i would i that is so my take is this has been a war that has been brewing for a while. This has been something that has been step by step. The content creators have been pushed by the advertisers. The advertisers get pushed by the users coming up with new solutions to protect their privacy or to block the ads. You know, like Adblock comes around and Ghostry and all these different tools get created. They're really good tools, but what they really are is the it's like the user's weapon in a fight against more and more tracking. So Marco Armit came out. Uh, Marco Armit, he uh, developed Tumblr, he did Instapaper, and now he works on Overcast. And when he did this, he really, after all of this, he decided, well, maybe I'll take a stab at doing a content blocker. And he released something called Peace. And after about three or four days, he pulled it from the App Store after making about $12,000. Now, he didn't make that money because Apple refunded everybody's purchase and didn't pay him. But he created the number one content blocker just because there's really nobody that showed up on day one making one. He creates the number one content blocker and has massive success and then realizes, oh, crap, what have I done? And pulls it from the App Store. So there's a couple of different things we could talk about here. We could talk about content blocking itself, and we could also talk about creating something, and then it goes successful, and then you realize, oh, crap, now I'm stuck supporting this thing that I'm not really all that passionate about, and it's taking from me. And I don't know which uh, avenue you want. Are you still with me? I don't know which avenue you want to go with, but... uh, 
Yeah. So I know our, our Skype connection got a little crappy because it started to rain. But uh, what do you think, Mike, after you – I'm sure you're fairly familiar with the situation. What aspect yeah. of it do you kind of feel like talking about? You know, this whole content blocking thing, particularly in iOS, can we just say you're blocking ads? Right. I mean, That's what you're doing. Right. I'm not going to get into the whole crazy, are you stealing by doing that, but it's, it's what you're doing, right? It's a people say, oh, I'm using Napster for file sharing. Like, mm, you're probably not. <laughs> you know, maybe like if you're a Linux guy, you're sharing some distros, but other than that, you're running Windows XP and you were running Napster, you were doing piracy. Right. Well, it's it's. Uh, I guess it's, it is a way to say, yeah, you're you're uh, you're getting something for free uh, that maybe. I don't know. It kind of feels. I, well, I, I'm not even right. I'm not even putting the judgment there. Okay. Oh, we don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. You're yeah, right. By calling it content blocking, you're you're giving it more. You're making it seem like a much more complicated product than it is. Right. You mean? Okay. I'm almost giving it too much gravitas. Right. You're giving it just a little. A lot too much credit, right? Now, it may have been a very good ad blocker. It may have been the best ad blocker. But, you know, to me, the angle of this is more interesting is not that he pulled it. Because I kind of understand why he pulled it. And, you know, many people would not be in his position to make $12,000 off of an app at launch and walk away from it. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, in some ways, I respect that he did that, uh, right. because that would be a very hard decision to make, although Apple kind of made that choice for him. But uh, what no, about... It's because he, he pulled it from the... So to be clear, he wanted everybody to get a refund, but he pulled it from the store so soon after launching it that Apple automatically refunded everything. Right. And well, and also, right. he was directing users to the refund page from his blog. Right. And it's a manual process for Apple, which is insane. But, um, <laughs> it is, though. They do it yeah. with a customer service rep over chat. <laughs> So the whole, really the aspect of this to me that's interesting is is that you need $12,000 on content blocking, I'm sorry, ad blocking in one day. Yeah, man. Right? Like, like two days so or something, yeah. At least there were that many people who, like, granted, he has a brand, you know, he can, he can get a little more uh, push than, than your average Joe, but that's for a paid app. I think part of it is users are really sick and tired of this, especially on mobile, and he's got name recognition and nobody else showed up. I think it does demonstrate that there's a problem here. And you've been there. You've been where you've gone to a a site on your mobile browser and uh, an ad takes over the entire screen on your mobile screen. People are sick and tired of it. Yeah. To me, the, the real story here is monetization on the web needs to change quickly. Because mm. if people are this willing to to install ad blockers, to you know run third party code, and and people don't download apps too much, right? Like your average person, I, I I can't imagine that there's not you know there's not a market here, or or at least a wake up call for a lot of these news sites, a lot of these content sites. You need to monetize a little differently, right? These pop up ads, these. Uh, CPM has never been a worse bet for you, right, in terms of payout. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, I don't know if you've looked recently, Chris, but it, it's, not, it's, it's barely worth the time to implement if you're going to implement ads well. Right. So, Mike, do you see this as part of a larger problem with payments on the web in general? Because you've got, you've got app pricing, you've got uh, people expecting stuff for free that costs money, and now you've got, you know, ad blocking. To me, it seems like maybe a 
this is part of a larger problem that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, I think this is this is back to the old, you know, I'm not going to get into it again, but the old monetization problem of if, if the customer's not paying you, you need to monetize that customer, right? And unfortunately, when everybody is monetizing via ads, the ads become less valuable. To the right. point where you've seen them. I mean, you've seen it, right? You pop open your, your, your Android or iPhone, and the screen is frozen because it's loading so many damn ad networks. Yep, yep, I have seen that. And yeah. I, I, uh, I think that led to people just really pushing to find something else, and that's where peace came in. Peace was, was right. peace. I mean, that's why he called it that. Yeah, it's, you know, the days of just throwing Google ads on, on a website and saying that that's, uh, that's going to be you know, right. a revenue model. Right, right. Or a, or a or a an ad from the deck or something like that. So, so Mike, uh, that's probably not a problem you and I can solve. But I'm kind of I kind of wanted to pick your brain about the whole holy shit. This just got really successful, and now I have to make this. Now I have to be the face of this fight, or now I have to support this, and I don't even really care about it that much. Uh, so there's a, there's a flaw in in Marco's logic, and that was he got all wrapped up in the I can do a thing and release it. And Marco really likes Marco's recipe for making a successful app on the App Store is figure out the new thing that Apple just enabled in the last iOS and be one of the first people in the market to take advantage of it. And he doesn't do it for every feature, but he watches for the ones that interest him. And that's how he does it. That's how he makes his money on the App Store is he looks for that new platform feature. And that's why, by the way, by the way, that's why it's a big deal that people update to the latest version of iOS because that's how developers can make money. They take advantage of the new platform features. That's why it's a big problem that Android doesn't have all the updates out all to its users. iOS 9 seeing crazy fast adoption, right? It's so, a huge problem. For next week, I want to talk about that. It is Even for obnoxious little stuff, it is a huge, huge problem. Right, and think about this, Mike. Think about this. He made, he made over $12,000 around there, as I think that's what he said, in a couple of days, and he only made that from iOS 9 users. Only iOS 9 users right. can take advantage of a content true, blocker. Yeah. The doesn't exist, right? right. I, didn't, I didn't think of it that way. Isn't that mind-blowing? So think about think about that aspect of it and then think about like falling back asswards into success and then not wanting to be not have that success. I mean, he must have felt tortured about that in a sense. And uh you know, I have been there in sh- with shows before where I've, I've created a show, it goes really well, and then all of a sudden I realize, geez, I don't really have the time and effort. Now, usually I just try to hire people to help with that, but uh, I, I can kind of relate to it on that sense. To me, though, I think the overall, the overall thing we're struggling with here is you have a system where we're dealing with how do you pay for things online from every aspect, to the content that you consume, to the, to the things that you buy, how to, how, what is fair, and how should that be done, and how do you prevent piracy when piracy is so easy when it's just a digital copy? And it's all part of a larger conversation. And I, I know I feel like this to me seems like heresy to say it out loud, but wouldn't it just been a lot easier if we all just kind of went with like a Patreon model for like if you really like The Verge, then you become a Verge subscriber for $3 a month. And if you really like Engadget, you become an Engadget because I would subscribe to one and not the other and let the, let the consumer choose, let the market decide. But let's just all say, OK, these people need to make a living in order to continue to make the content. So do you want to be monetized via ads and tracking or do you want to be... Because I'll be honest, ads don't bother me so much. It's the tracking and associating all the websites I visit across all of them. And uh, to, to me, 
that I think is what is pushing people to peace. That and on mobile, ads actually do literally cost you money, right? Because you pay for your mobile bandwidth. And if you're downloading a flash ad or an image GIF or something like that, you are literally paying for that ad. And I think that adds additional motivation to block these on, on the phone. But the reality is users want the content, publishers want to get paid, but we haven't agreed on something that works for everybody, in my opinion. That's where I think the crux of this problem is, and I don't think we're anywhere near solving it. And I think in a large way, these app stores have done a tremendous amount of damage to progress here. I don't know what your thoughts are. See, I almost don't. Um, I kind of think the publishers, you know, have gotten just a little lazy. Oh, the idea that you're just your product is going to be just this website and people are going to read it on your site and you'll have a mobile responsive version and that's it seems odd, right? It does um, seem a little... You know, yeah. What, one thing, like another Marco Armour product, the magazine, I really liked it. I did not like the content. But I liked the, the shell, so to speak, right? Hmm. Well, he was like the only one who did that. You know... Now they're the same company, Recode and The Verge, but when Recode came out, I was a, a big fan of Recode. I, I felt their uh, their journalists were a little more mature, a little more looking at the business angle of it, taking, you know, instead of like, oh my God, look at New Shiny. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's because you have... Yeah. The Verge is terrible, but the no. you is a little more... Trendy. Enthusiast. Sure, right? yeah. Um, I would have totally paid for like a, a Recode premiere where I get longer articles with in-depth analysis, charts, give me the data, you know, maybe exclusive interviews with, you know, for instance, uh, you know, I mean, I won't name names, but they always do those little, the like TechCrunch does it, right, the little uh, gossip about, you know, startup CEOs out, changing this technology, all this kind of stuff. Well, I would totally pay a subscription to to read a publication where I could actually read an interview with those people. All right, so you derailed your product by six months to rewrite it in Node. Why? Right? And actually have a serious conversation, in-depth interview with that person and hear it out. Rather than, see, isn't Node awesome? You know, like the 500-word TechCrunch article you get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Docker, but how many of those did we see when Docker got big on, on those kind of Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, so here's the problem. Have you ever heard of theinformation.com? Well, theinformation.com is about somewhere. I don't know exactly. When they launched, I thought, I think it was like $1,000 a year for a membership. Now I think it's like about a dollar a day. So I don't know, around four three, $380 is I think about what it comes out to uh, for a yearly subscription. And that sounds like a shit ton of money. $380 to read a news website? That's crazy. But if you think yeah. about it, that's, yeah. that is what it costs. It, like, it costs a lot of money to make good content. And so they look at that and say, well, nobody's going to pay us three eighty a year. So we have to go to sponsors because sponsors will pay us that. I mean, the problem is Netflix has done it for $8, right? They produce content. They do all this stuff. So or what is it, $15, $8? I know they changed their price. Yeah, it ranges. Of course, they don't make everything either. So only, they only make some of their shows now. That's fair. Yeah, they do make, yeah. Yeah. It is a but, tricky thing, though, isn't it? That it's balance. tricky, but, but it, seems, it seems silly to just say, oh, well, it's hard, so let's just throw more abuse of ads on the site, and let's be surprised when people don't want to, you know, 
view our site as we intended with all these ads, right? Now, Mike, do you know, does that, uh, does that content blocking API, does it um, also affect apps, ads? Like, if you put an ad... No. no. Interesting. To my, knowledge, to my knowledge, I don't think it does, no. Native, you mean, like, native ads? Like, like it, yeah, like... Flipping if, out the AdMob SDK or the iClipBuy yeah, SDK? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I don't think it does. <laughs> is, I'm well, relatively sure it doesn't. Let's but. talk about that in a second. But first, I want to tell you about Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. There you're going to get a discount for Coder Radio audience members. And Linux Academy is a, is a great resource if you want to learn more about any of the information systems surrounding open source and Linux. So I say it very broadly like that because they have expanded what they cover so greatly. Uh, and they really start at the core. They have, they have their core essences that I think you guys are going to jive with. They really are passionate about Linux. They're passionate about open source, and they're passionate about the technology stack that has originated from these communities. And so what they decided to do as educators, Linux enthusiasts, and as developers, they decided to come together and create the Linux Academy platform, where they have step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. It comes with your own server, just built right into the courseware. It just spins it up for you on demand. With seven-plus distros you get to choose from, they have OpenStack Essentials. They have Red Hat Certification Courses. They have Nginx, PHP, Perl, Python, Ruby, all of the stuff. Like, honestly, I can't even go through the whole list with you guys because every single week they're adding more things. And that's the real value to Linux Academy and the subscription is they keep adding more stuff nuggets and coursewares and videos and comprehensive study guides it's just all the time because they eat live and breathe this stuff and that means when you're ready to get the best education and on your own terms you can go to linuxacademy.com slash coders go check out their aws certified sysops prep course you got to work with aws this is something that's worth checking out also they're also looking for some great new uh, creators for content. They're looking for developers. They're looking for people that know back-end systems. If you're looking for a gig and you got some credentials, they're looking for part-time or potentially full-time for the right candidates, email them career at linuxacademy.com. I want you to go to linuxacademy.com slash coders and take a look at their tour section on their website. So when you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, that landing page is going to give us credit for your visit. So thank you very much for doing that. And then I'd like you to just explore around. Keep the URL in mind so that way you can go get the discount later. But really, I want you to just check out their site. Look at all the different nuggets. These are really cool for me because these are ways for, I, for me to continue to get value out of Linux Academy when I have very little time because they're like, you know, two minutes long. Some of them are like 60 minutes long, but they're just, it's a deep dive in a single topic. And I love that aspect, especially you guys, you, you know, like if you just want to learn how to just master rsync, because you're going to move some data between two servers, do you really need to take a five-hour course? No. A 15-minute course is going to do it, and then you're going to walk away feeling like a pro. And this is continued value. It's just like another tool in your belt. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders, check them out, and upgrade your knowledge set. linuxacademy.com slash coders, and a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mike, uh, all of this controversy around blocking ads... It's been building. Apple didn't uh, invent this controversy, uh, but they certainly seem to add a lot of fuel to the fire with iOS 9. That's why we're talking about it right now, because iOS 9 came out since our last show. Honestly, all other BS aside about tracking and ads and content, and not that it's necessarily BS, but all of that aside, isn't this really a shot against Google, in your opinion? Oh, it's, it, yeah. I mean, 
it's got to be right. Yeah, that's. It seems like it's like, and you know, it's like the sneakiest way too, because it's not Apple making the blocker. Apple's just making the API. It's Marco or 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 Ghostry or somebody else that's actually blocking the content. Apple just made the hooks in the OS, bro. What do you want, right? But it's such a it's such a shot across the bow at Google. I mean, I can't see it as any other any other thing. I mean, well. I guess it improves end user experience as well. Uh, but, and I, I mean, there is probably something to that. But my general take on Apple is they work in three ways. Apple ships a product when, number one, it benefits Apple. Number two, it benefits the end user. And number three, it sells more devices. And I think Apple said, screwing over Google benefits us. And so, number one, checkbox. Number two, users don't like ads, so it's easy to say that benefits users. Box checked. And number three, down the road, once somebody famous like Ghostery or AdBlock makes a competitive ad blocking solution, now iOS and the iPhone is going to be known as the phone where you can block advertising and tracking. And doesn't that just play perfectly into their security and privacy narrative? Yeah, it really does. It's brilliant, really. It's what they've done is it's so smooth, and and I'm surprised that not a lot of people are calling them out for it because it seems so obvious. Like I kind of thought the uh, I thought maybe the Apple versus Google war was dying down as Steve Jobs had passed on, and that Tim Cook was more rational and more of a realist, and he was going to uh, you know sort of mend the fences over time. But this this is really this is really slick and clever because. This isn't a – what the press always gets all hot and bothered by is, like, Siri suggestions and Siri search and, like, the fact that Apple makes a deal with Bing, right? Oh, look at Apple right. going after Google search, trying to prevent the users – are, like, uh, deep linking into apps, right? That Some people said that's Google or that's Apple trying to make Google less relevant. None of that's true because that's not where Google makes its money. That's not how Google makes its money. And Apple's, Apple's not dumb. Apple knows how Google makes its money. Google makes its money selling ads. Google is one of the largest ad publishing platforms, period. Period. And to understand what a big deal that is, you have to understand that there are ginormous corporations that do what Google does, and that's all they do, is sell ads. That's all these... There's, there's, two, I have, there's two I'm thinking of that when Google started as a company, were so huge they were behemoths they were just these monster companies and now google has eclipsed them as an advertising company not as a search company not as a document company it has eclipsed them as a advertising company okay and apple's aware of that apple knows what's up apple knows what makes the money for google and this is a shot across the bow this is this is more than that this is a torpedo this is a torpedo because what at what Google what everybody what everybody oh Google search right no no it's Google ads and Apple knows that and they are taking them out at the knees when it comes to the ads they're saying let's just make one of the most popular platforms on the web not support ads and now you're taking iOS which is one of the most common platforms that to browse the web these days and you are making more and more devices display less ads that is clearly a shot against Google that's clearly trying to take a shot at Google like at like a lower level level where Google executives know what's up and Apple executives know what's up, but end users are not really talking about the Google Apple war anymore because it's not Apple taking a shot at search. 
Right. It's them going after how you monetize search. Yes, yes. And that is some dirty play by Apple. Don't you, do you feel it's a little bit of a dirty play, or do you feel like it's a righteous act? Uh, I feel like someone was going to do it. Yeah, but right. on, yeah, I suppose. You, but on iOS, only Apple can build those hooks in. Right, but you could also argue that, you know what, Google's been doing this crap for a long time. I mean, think about how many things have they, uh, you know, how many products are just not viable now because Google has a free product that exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, even even products where they've now discontinued, that like, look at right. Google Reader, right? Google Reader decimated the RSS desktop market. Um, News Netwire, uh, you can go look up News Netwire. They've bemoaned about this that their entire business was kneecapped by Google Reader, and then they and Google just bailed on it afterwards, and they're screwed now. Yeah, that's kind of how they roll. <laughs> like, unfortunately, you know, they call it an experiment, and it's awesome when it's somebody's twenty percent time, but usually somebody files bankruptcy at the end of that, right? Like, yikes! That's and a- they might abandon the product because. They're Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might. Well, uh, it's. I don't like. I don't. I don't have any nice way to wrap up this discussion. I don't have any nice way to put a bow on it and like us so walk away and be like, hmm, we had a good talk about that because it, we are so in the thick of it right now. Right. We are so in the middle of it, and I'm fascinated because I hope, I hope podcasts are somewhat insulated from this because I, at least this, the the podcasters that do ads the way we do, you know, we try to be. Uh, uh, you know, uh, very, very thoughtful on the sponsors. We try to be very, very thoughtful on the reads and we try to integrate it nicely into the content and uh, we track downloads, but that's it. We just get numbers on how many downloads and I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I can say right now on air, I will, I 100%, I have never given out any other information I have other than just number of downloads. I don't even give out country stats. I don't even give out that information um, because you know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. What matters is that people use the promo codes and that's all that matters. And I like that about podcast advertising. I don't know if the, what's happening to the web will happen to podcasts. I mean, you've got skip buttons on your podcast players, but at the same time, I think it's, you're a little more connected to the content. You realize that this is how we're surviving. Um, of course we have the Patreon model too, which I'd like, I actually would like to see that grow even more because the whole advertising system, it's, it's very volatile. And uh, not that we can't roll with the punches, but it's, you can see what's going on right now. Monetization on the internet, which has been a thread through the show since day one, is just as up in the air. More, more now, more so, I would say now than any other time that we have ever done Coda Radio. Monetization on the web is is more up in the air. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I feel like it's never been harder. Right. Um, but I don't know what the answer is to that. Yeah, because it's like it's like uh, there has to be one. There has to be a way to make it work. Um, and, and and yeah, I, I look at you know I look at this from a software development standpoint, and I think there seems to be less and less ways for somebody to get passionate about something and focus on it and and make a living in a way that they can feel really good about that. And hopefully, hopefully after this advertising thing shakes out on the web, maybe we'll come to something that is a compromise that everybody likes a little more. Is that possible? You think? Mm. <laughs> come on give me some hope man i don't know i, th- I think we're gonna come to something that's for sure okay all right uh, okay okay whether it's something the other thing is what is everybody going to like right who's everybody because I, I think any change the publishers are going to not like right yeah yeah i mean think I, about developers we, we don't love that we can't just sell you box software maybe digital software for 50 bucks anymore 
that was a far better business model than the current ones. That's true. All right. Well, before we run, I know you got to go because you're, you're yep. a busy man. Let me just read one quick email from Stefan because I'm hoping maybe you can help Matt. He says, hey, guys, I have a great full-time gig as a developer, and I'm looking to make a little extra cash on the side of my own. I love listening to the show, and my favorite pieces are those that relate to the business side of software development. I know you've mentioned this in pieces before, but... I wondered if you could just list a few, maybe three or so ideas for conditions that you have found to be absolutely critical in a contract for a project. Maybe some that aren't obvious in the beginning that you've learned through hard learned experience. Thanks a bunch, Stefan. Any uh, any like contract must haves, Mike? Um, or maybe another way to take on this. Any setups that you would never do again, like uh, any any like terms for payment or uh, terms for delivery? Well, you know, I, I would just say contracts have to be mutually uh, able to be terminated, right? Number every one, once yeah. Once in a while, you'll get something where, or even unilaterally terminated. Once in a while, you'll get, you, know, you don't want to be on a contract that's basically until the customer is happy. Because the customer could be insane. Right, <laughs> you could you know just the customer could have paid you like five hundred bucks to do a, a quick WordPress update for him, and then be like, oh well, I want all this stuff changed. Yes, actually, you joke. You weren't joking. That actually has yeah, happened to that, me. That actually. does happen, right? I, yeah. So, because realistically, you're never going to scope your contract well enough, and I think you just need to leave yourself an eject button. Right, leave yourself a you know what off your own arm kind of thing okay now what about like terms for payment like what about like i will only pay you when x is done are those are you are you comfortable or do you negotiate on those stuff or or do you have kind of firm like no you i like to get paid at this iteration regardless of the progress or how's that you know i've done both um yeah yeah. again any any time you get one nice thing about being paid by milestone is that no one can ever come back and say it wasn't done. Right? Because at the end of the day, if they paid you for the milestone, they accepted it. Ah. Yeah, and it's a clear, like, it also, the milestone gives you an opportunity to sort of make sure you're on the same page about the goals, which is at the end of the day, a lot of times where things fall apart is you guys walk away from a conversation and you both interpret that conversation differently. And milestones are a really beneficial way to put a landmarker right there in the ground and say, when we get to this point, we agree that these things have, we mutually agree these things have been accomplished. And that is, that is... That is super beneficial because when you start to slide backwards in a project, you only slide as far as that milestone. And then you can say, look, 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 we got to here and we agreed we were good. Right. You know, especially if you're in the consumer space, people might decide they don't want things for all kinds of stupid reasons or no reason. Right. And you want to make sure that you are legally protected that, you know, you're never going to sue someone for a thousand dollars if you're doing like small websites Mm -hmm. for, for mom and pops. It's just not worth it. But you don't want someone who abandons a project to be able to come back and be like, oh, but it wasn't finished, so you know, I want my money back. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's the – or the uh, – the um, not nickel and diming you in the sense of money, but nickel and diming you in the sense of time. Oh, yeah, that's looking really good. Just one more thing. Just yeah. one more thing. Oh, can we also make sure we get this working? Because really, if we don't get this working, then it's kind of a waste of time. And that's kind of the whole point. So I also just need you to make sure that this talks to this. And then once that's all set up and done, I think we should be good. And then it just keeps happening like that, right? Oh, yeah. I, the other thing is, you know, all of these kind of like contracty things really come down to, do you have the right kind of customer? 
And, you know, do you have a process to manage the project? Yeah. Because even good customers with lots of money, you can, you can definitely lose money on, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not even, it's not even about small. The, the thing about small dollar values is you probably, you know, there's a limit on what everybody is going to do about it. Right, you're just not going to sue a pizzeria for five hundred bucks. Like, <laughs> it's like, not worth not, it. Right, you're not even even though you can do it in small claims court. Right, you're, you're not going to. You know. And the inverse is true. If the pizzeria is unhappy, well, he's not going to sue to get his hundred dollar deposit back. Yeah. So, and even if you wanted to just be nice and give it back, you could. You don't want to be in a dispute about like you know twenty thousand dollars because you likely don't have the ability to return that. Right. If there so, was, how do you prevent that? Do you think? I don't think it's, it's. I don't think it's contractual. I think it's. Um, I think it's all you know. Project management, and, and that's yeah. the boring stuff, right? That's the Excel spreadsheet stuff, and and communication, right? Like, um, uh, like meeting expectations. Like, uh, uh, for example, on this road trip, right? If I had clients still, if I had tech clients that I was managing, I would send them an email saying. I'm just checking in, seeing how your things are at. A reminder: these are the people you get a hold of if you have any issues, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's um, it is okay, Stefan. This is probably a better. I'm, I was going along a long way of saying it, but this is a really concise way to say what I'm about to say. Once you sell them, you're just beginning the sales process. Once you sell them on using your service, that's the beginning of your sales process. The sales process doesn't end once you have the client. Every single time you interact with them, you're selling. You're constantly selling. You're selling yourself every week. You're selling yourself every time you talk to them. You're selling them every time you do an update. You're always selling. Always be selling. That's the, that's the fundamental aspect of it is constantly massage that relationship. Open those channels of communication. If you have a sense that they're not quite understanding something or maybe something's slipping, be upfront about it. They're not going to have a problem with it. They're going to see your proactiveness as you giving a shit. And if they think you give a shit, they're more likely to pay you. They're more likely to continue to engage with you. So always be selling. That would be the third piece of advice is just remember – that as long as that communication channel stays rich and you, you just always talk about the things as they come up, you can avoid so many problems down the road. And if you take Mike's advice about making sure you have a mutual, easy way to bail, make sure you have easily understandable milestones that everybody agrees on, and then, last but not least, it's the, this part's all on you, Stefan, is just keep that communication always flowing. Even if it's just a... Even if you're working on something for two weeks and they know they're not going to hear from you from two weeks, after five days, send them an email saying, here's an update. I've got this committed to the project. I've This many things have been fixed. This has been changed. This is where it's at in testing. Whatever it is, just take the five minutes it takes to do it and send them an email. And that five minutes will save you so many hours of agony down the road. And so my last bit of advice, so number one, make sure you can get out easy. Number two, Mutual milestones, number three, always be selling. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, my whole thing is worry less about the whole legal contractual thing because the reality is if it's a small amount of money, um, they'll, you know, and you really end up in a dispute, they're going to mm-hmm. go to small claims court and yeah. the plaintiff wins like 85% of the time. Oh, yeah. That's good times. Right. That's, so that's... The, other th- the other thing is make sure you have only do things that are out of small claims court. I mean, if, if you really find yourself in that situation a lot and you really want to protect yourself with a lawyer, then you need to be above whatever your state's small claims court is. Yeah. Um, the other reality is if you just, you know, don't sell someone a Chevy 
and let them leave the lot thinking they bought a Cadillac. Mm. And that's a mistake I've made in the past. Um, even if your contract says you bought a, you know, a Chevy, whatever, Chevy Monte Cristo, right? If they think they bought a CTS, then you could give them the nicest Monte Cristo around. They're not going to be happy. You're right. Yeah, they'll figure it out, and then they'll resent you for it. Right, and it can be hard when dealing with people who aren't technical because, you know, they don't get the difference between, let's say, the Facebook app, which has billions of dollars in it, and their app project for whatever they're paying you, right? Mm. Yeah. So just so be just careful. be clear about the expectations. Right. Just be clear that you know, what, I like to use the car analogy or even the clothes analogy. Right. You you could be buying Chanel clothes. Sure, you could buy a Chanel suit. I don't know if they make men's clothes, <laughs> but that suit would be like ten thousand dollars. Or you could go to J.C. Penney's and buy one for like two hundred. Yeah. You just have to understand that your expectations have to be different right. for what you're buying. Right. Yeah. That's that's very true too. All right, Mister Domic. Anything right. else you want to cover this week? Nope, that's it. All right. Well, I will give everybody a little piece of advice. Why don't you head over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and subscribe to the Coda Radio program. Then you get the RSS feed. And then you don't have to worry about Google Docs or Skype outages. You just get the show automatically when it comes out over jupiterbroadcasting.com. You also find links to some of the things we talked about. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Check out Buccaneer Tech online. Follow Mr. Dominic at Dominuku on the Twitters. And don't forget about that subreddit over at coderadio.reddit.com. We'd love your feedback and topics for the show. And join us live over at jblive.tv. We do this show on a Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central Time, I believe. Or is that Mountain Time? Who knows? I can't keep it straight, and I'm driving through it all. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio, and we'll see you right back here next week.